When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. <laughs> Welcome to the Invested Podcast. We're unfolding, unpeeling the onion of Warren Buffett's investing strategies that I've been using for 40 years. Danielle's been using them for five. She's my daughter <laughs> and an attorney and and a uh, now she's a good investor. So we're helping Heck you guys yeah. figure out how to be a good investor too. So we're in the midst of doing our checklist, which is highly proprietary. And for some reason, I've decided to tell you guys all about it. And, you should um, just say that you're leaving a lot of stuff out. Well, okay, some things are being left out. <laughs> <laughs> secret things. I'm going to give you every bit of the secret sauce. <laughs> Come on, really? <laughs> so, so what we're on this time is we've we've gone through um, radar, which is how you come to find a company. And we're on to the last of understanding a business, which is meaning, moat management, margin of safety. We've talked about payback time as a margin of safety view. We've talked about 10 cap as a margin of safety view. And today we're talking about the what we call the margin of safety, which is... I'll just add quickly mm-hmm. for anybody who's listening to this going, what the heck I listened to a couple episodes ago and you were not talking about checklists. We started this checklist thing a year ago. So go back to episodes 269, 270, 285, 280. It's in that range. And you can listen to extreme detail about all of those sections that you just mentioned, Dad. So we are now picking it up again a year later for the the next part of this checklist. Pricing. Yeah, and I said last week that the margin of safety analysis is a discounted cash flow analysis. It's a very MBA-ish view of the world that we've simplified in our toolbox, but you can do it just like an MBA would do it with an Excel spreadsheet. And it is, for me, the most optimistic view of the potential future price of the business. The other ones don't talk about future price at all. They're just, hey, what's a good price to pay right now? This one looks out at what it should sell for 10 years out. Quick a, question. Mm. Because last time as we ended, you said we had a little kerfuffle over the order of the different pricing analyses. Right. And you had you switched them around for our conversation about the checklist. But I'm right. curious why you put margin of safety ahead of the others in your own process. It no longer is. Ah, okay. Actually, uh, the first one we do is 10 cap every time. Oh, okay. First one we do. But it is sort of the one I wrote about um, initially in payback time or in, or sorry, in uh, rule number one. It And it's the one I wrote about in payback time as well to a certain degree. So I, I just sort of left it as the first uh, on our checklist and have never changed it. Um, but the 10 cap is the one I go to first. And that's the one we put in that order. Got it. And that's the order that it's in invested yeah, in our book. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Got it. Right on. So let's so the, go through them. Yeah. So the other two, the other two ways of looking at value, as you know, are, are well, looking at 
are looking at price. And that's why Daniel's been saying price. So the other two are about pricing the company. They don't really value the business per se. Um, they're just saying, hey, if you can buy it for this, buy it for this. It's a good price. Um, this one is about the value of the business. We call it the mm -hmm. sticker price. Excellent because, point. Because like the sticker that you get on the window of your new car, which up until this year has always been something you bargain from. You bargain downward from the sticker. Um, and ironically, today, people are bargaining up from the sticker for new cars in the U.S. because they're not making them fast enough. Really? Yeah, you didn't know that. Yeah. We have a chip shortage going on in the U.S., and as a result, all these cars use a lot of computer chips and yeah. they are not putting cars out as fast. So used cars have gone up 15 or 20 percent in the last year wow. in price. And new cars, man, they're just sitting on those sticker prices or raising. You know, you want to you want one of these right now. You want that Ford F450 Dually. Well, guess what? The sticker on it is 88,000. And uh, you want the one right now. You can get in the top of the line for 100 grand. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing, 100%. That's really intriguing on many right levels. On. Right on. Especially so, the chip shortage level. Okay. Yeah, so any case, margin of safety is looking out into the future at what we believe the future value might be, but looking at it in an optimistic way, not too pessimistic. The other two views of the world will give you a very solid price to buy at. Um in a range. And this one, you can get a very, very optimistic view. Um, and even so, many times, if you don't have a high growth rate in the company, you're going to end up with a low margin of safety price here. So hmm. we use this one to just say, okay, well, how, how far would I be willing to push this thing? And by that, I mean, this way of looking at the, the value of a business starts with, what's the growth rate of earnings of, of effectively of cash in the business. What's the growth rate? And that's so hard to know, you know? What's the growth rate gonna be in 10 years? It's so hard to decide on. Tell me if this is a good method, because literally what I do is I try to figure out a decent one. I put that in, I see what it gets me. Then I choose one a little below that. I put that in, I see what it gets me. Then I choose one a little higher than that. I put that in, I see what it gets me. I try to get some idea of like what the range would be depending on different scenarios because I don't know what a decent know, it's, choice it's, is. Exactly. I mean, well, we've got I our windage, which is my favorite concept on earth, the windage <laughs> growth rate, but it's like literally a number you just pick. So I pick like a bunch of different windages and try to get a vibe. I think there's nothing wrong with that because you got to know in reality, you're looking at a, a, at a range that you hope you're going to get into yeah. out there in the future someplace. And what I'm really looking for here is if I buy this business today at a good price, am I going to, can I just leave my money in here and see it compound at 26% a year for 10 years? Hmm. That's nirvana for us. Um, and it's, it's a little hard to find. I mean, it's impossible right now. Just forget it. It ain't going to happen. But when the markets crumble, it becomes a lot easier. And, the, the thing I'm looking for there is um, it, this business can be on sale, but if it can't grow fast enough, sometimes the growth rates will inhibit the future 
valuation of the business from growing fast enough for me to see that I'm going to be able to stay in this for 10 years. Does that make sense? Or do you need me like to you mean you there? won't get enough of a return to make it worthwhile? Right. That like I'm the return have, would be, they would have one, but it would be too low. It would be 15% a year instead of 26. Okay. And, and, and I'm doubling my money every five years instead of every three years. So the velocity of my money is starting to slow down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that happens. And we will still buy those companies all day long. You just have to be aware, right? Yeah, yeah. So if well, and if you're, company, if you're choosing between two different ones, I mean, not that it really happens oh. like that, but just in theory, you have one that has the higher, you, I think you have a very strong predictability, higher growth rate, then that oh, yeah. would be the one to... That's put more money more. into. Oh, you want the one that's the Walmart, the Google, the Apple that can grow at 15, the, the Chipotle Mexican Grill, that can grow at 15, 20% a year for a long time, decades, mm -hmm. plural. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> those are hard. To, those are rare, right? They're unicorns. But when you find them, you know, you, you buy them and they can just keep on growing. And it's, it's extraordinary the rates of return you can get out of there. What happens with a lot of businesses is they they have an uh, an event which we'll talk about on the checklist here in a little you know in a, in a couple of podcasts. They'll have an event and they'll go on sale. They're very clearly on sale. You got a ten cap price. You got a payback time price. The margin of safety price. You can buy them on sale, and then they they recover so quickly. Often in the real world, mm. that they'll just jump up in a year. Mm -hmm. And and suddenly this thing that you bought for twenty dollars is now at forty dollars, and back where it was. Well, if that's intrinsic value, if that's sticker forty bucks, and you bought it at margin safety price, now you're back to sticker, and the company's growing at seven percent a year. You're not going to see a twenty six percent return for a ten year period. You got nine more years to go, and those nine years, if the market stays rational, will be a nine percent return. Hmm. per year. So you just hammered yourself. So what Buffett did early on in the early Warren Buffett partnerships is when that stock price would get up to where his where he wanted to sell it, he would sell it and move the money to something else to keep the velocity high. Now, yeah. he doesn't do that today. Yeah. He, because he's not nimble anymore. He can't just move around $100 billion. It doesn't work. You're going to crush the stock prices every time you try to get out. And he very famously talked about that with Coca-Cola back in 1988 or, or 1998 or 1999. Coca-Cola was up at around $75 a share or something, well above what it was worth. And people were going like, why are you staying in this thing? It's so overpriced, you know, according to all of the criteria you've always taught us. And Buffett just said, "Look, I'm just not nimble when I used like I used to be." True, true. If if I could move the money around like I used to when I had a million dollars or five million dollars, I'd be making fifty percent a year. I mean, straight up, he said that. He yeah. says, I can't do that anymore. At the same but time, you can. there's a lot. I mean, now we're talking about selling, not buying, but there's a lot of money to be lost in a in a what is that a mistake of omission in getting out of a company too early yes and there is i've made that mistake already I have and it too. sucks that's my that's my most common mistake and it sucks it's also the mistake i hear the most from other investors 
like over and over trying to not really time the market. It's more like time the company. It's saying like, okay, you're fully priced now. Your stock's fully priced. Like this is what I expected to happen. Everything happened the way I thought. So great. Best of luck. I'm out of here and on to the next thing. And then we don't anticipate that a given company can come up with such genius ideas and grow itself <laughs> well two <laughs> things come areas. out of this, really so it's the first is that the first is that um being rational in this market for the last five years is um is not common and the prices that we're seeing in the market are not rational definitely they don't reflect the ability of a company to perform over time and and give you a return that's a risk re- adjusted return they just don't reflect that at all yeah the, the prices we're seeing in the market now are insane um and and as as a result you're just not going to get an up what happens is you buy a company that gets put on sale let's say during covid last march or in 2020 and when this company comes back up to a reasonable sticker price it could continue running because our view of a reasonable sticker price is very conservative. We're, we're right. We're saying, you know, based on conservative views of the market, what what the value of that business is, and the market is not nothing conservative about it, and it just keeps pushing the price up. I mean, Chipotle is the classic one of these where, you know, I'm getting out at around five hundred, and it's now at fifteen hundred, and I feel like an idiot because I'm sitting here thinking about valuing this company in a traditional stock market and we're not in one. And I I just made that mistake. But I also want you guys to realize that if you're gonna make a mistake, this is the one to make, okay? This is the mistake Buffett makes from time to time back, especially in the early days of getting out of a business when it's not even anywhere near its sticker price. He still would get out of it. He'd he'd get out of these companies at the margin of safety price. He'd be buying at half of margin of safety. And so this is the mistake to make because just think of what I just said. I effectively doubled my money in Chipotle, and I'm upset because I didn't quadruple it. Those that's, right. that's that's not a bad thing to have happen, only to double your money in a year or so. So the, I think, the worst I think, part of that is there's just nowhere else to put the money, and I hate that, but that's just the way it goes. Yeah, but I think it's more of a mistake than that because – for me, my mistake was not realizing the potential that a company had, thinking that they were fully valued, thinking, okay, it's done what it's going to do. What, what company are you talking about? No, it's the same. It's Chipotle. I Well, wait, 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 wait. They haven't produced massively insane numbers. No, but they've produced very good numbers in the midst of massive restaurant closers yeah, and but those good numbers are right on track with a 20% growth rate. Yeah, exactly. Which I priced the company at and came up with a sticker at. And they have just exploded beyond that. They're double a reasonable valuation. The price is, right is more than it should be, for sure. But I thought that it would get to 600 700 and that would be like its future. And it would be... A company that sold burritos and it's turning into better than that like i think this company is going to be amazing anyway i don't want to say too much about Chipotle. oh man i priced that thing according i to a major priced it like that poorly i did in my opinion I priced it i priced it where it should be and i'm and i'm very confident that it is so massively skewed to where it shouldn't be 
along with pretty much the rest of the market. Yeah, but I yeah. wish that I had stuck with it for well, all of its future yeah. growth. Not Heck because yeah. not because of the market overvaluing it, because I didn't realize what this company was going to be doing. So that's my mistake. Okay, we 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 took different views of it and came up with the same number to exit on. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> we can talk about that anytime you want to because we shouldn't have different views of this and come up with the same number. It should oh, be that's very different numbers. Okay, yeah, that's a, that's you're right about well, let's that. Let's see which one of us let's see which one of us but I think God, that's what I'm saying. I think that's what I'm saying is I did my calculations on that based on the company that it was. This is a company that has stores that sells at lunch and dinner time. And they're going to open more of them. And what I didn't take into account was all the other things that they're doing to not only grow Chipotle, but I think to grow probably into a very large restaurant company of various brands so it'll be i don't know it'll be interesting to see what they do but that's the part that i missed out on okay i don't know i mean i i had a big growth rate on those guys when i calculated sticker big growth rate on them that they're going to do that for essentially as long as it i was be interested in the investment and Hmm. still came up with that six seven hundred dollar range hundred percent Okay. Hundred percent. Okay. And I, I'll bet you, if you do the math on it right now, you won't come up with much more. You certainly won't come up with fifteen hundred bucks a share. I promise you. And the no, reason I've is, said three times, it's not fifteen hundred. Yes, right. I agree. So the reason is, is because of the kinds of things we do during this discounted capital analysis, which we better get back to. Okay. So and so, first off, the growth rate obviously is somewhat subjective here, and then the wait, next wait, wait, one. Wait. So what's okay? Valuation, so margin of safety. What is yeah. point number one? I can I can pinpoint the long term growth rate of earnings and cash flow. I can pinpoint the long term growth rate of earnings and cash flow. Okay, and I'm going to be fairly optimistic here. All right, number two. I'm going to keep moving because we're not going to sit here and wait while you write everything down. Okay, number two. We sure the projection. Are, I'm not going back to oh, this. Okay, go ahead. I hate this. All right. My projection of future earnings and cash flow is takes the company to nowhere near the industry ceiling. Ooh. Now, probably we could write this down differently. But the main thing is here is I'm looking out 10 years and seeing what the revenue stream, right? What the earnings could be based on revenue of this company and realizing that, oh, huh, I guess this company would have to be the only restaurant in America to produce these kinds of numbers. I like that one. Okay. The projection of earnings and cash flow goes nowhere near the industry ceiling. Right on. Cool. Okay. So to know that one, you got to know your industry, which is earlier in the checklist and know the competitors and know how big this industry is overall and how it's growing because- you don't want to be buying a company expecting it's going to have to take over and there's no more McDonald's and no more Sonics and no more anything. It's just this. Mm-hmm. You know, and it'll suck up the entire market. And that's not going to happen. All yeah. right, number three. It's like a reasonability check. Reasonability check. Very good. Number three. I am confident that the future earnings multiplier is reasonable. 
I'm confident the future earnings multiplier is reasonable. All right. So when we do a discounted cash flow analysis, we're going to grow earnings and then we're going to multiply those future earnings 10 years out in our case by some multiplier, which is known in the market as a P.E. ratio. So that's the multiplier. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. <clears throat> the market just generally, and as you know, very not accurately, prices things with PE ratios, and so do we to put together a discounted cash flow analysis. So you know you're going to put a multiplier on the earnings because we're not going to sell the company for one year of earnings, right? If the company's earning mm -hmm. $100 a share in 10 years, we're not going to sell it for 100 bucks. I mean, nobody would do that. I've got to say the, for anybody listening, wondering about these details, it's all in our book. It's a little ad here for our book, Invested. <laughs> there you go. Because... These, this is just the checklist to check that you did it right and the details of what to do, how to like create this actual calculation are set forth in the book. Yep. They're in invested and they're in, and they're rule in number one. rule one. Yeah. Yep. So okay. that multiplier we use effectively is a two times the growth rate, unless the industry growth rate is much lower than that, in which case we'll use that. We use the analyst projections or we're not going to go bigger than the historical growth rates of the company. All right. Next one. I am using a historically uh, reasonable starting point for growing earnings. Wait, this is a again? point you using made a, a historically reasonable. reasonable starting point for growing earnings. Starting point. Yeah. That is your current earnings number. Is it anomalous? It's, is it like just this year happened to be a huge earnings number uh, for whatever reason. Maybe they sold part of their business or a really low one because it's COVID, mm -hmm. right? I want to mm -hmm. start something that's reasonable if I'm going to grow from there. Number five, I'm using a reasonable, minimum, acceptable rate of return. Oh, that's interesting. All right. A minimum acceptable rate of return is known in business school as the discounted the discount rate. So we historically just use 15%. Because you've always said 15%. Full exactly. stop. Yep. But now I'm looking at this and saying, wow, I screwed up on Chipotle. And the major reason that I screwed up on Chipotle was that I used 15% as a minimum acceptable rate of return in a market that's using six. Hmm. And by using a much, much lower, remember, this is the optimistic analysis here. By using a much lower minimum acceptable rate of return, using what's going on in the real world here. You can I pay a higher had, price. Oh, my gosh. I would have kept that thing. I wouldn't have bailed. So I would have realized, oh, in this market, this can go to 1,000 or 1,200 or something like that. Hmm. So always learning. So how this. does that square with this point, which is use a reasonable minimal, minimum acceptable rate of return? Reasonable means 
what's going on in the market and what do you expect to have going on in the market in 10 years? Hmm. So what so I reasonable expect, for the market is what you're yeah, really looking at here. Brand. Right. So while I could have put a 6% growth rate on there or, or, or a MAR minimum acceptable rate of return, I didn't. I wouldn't have probably ever because I just don't think something like this can go on for 10 years. But I probably would have come down substantially from that 15%. That's a very conservative, hmm. minimally acceptable rate of return. And the market is just not conservative right now at all. Hmm. And remember, this is your optimistic projection. So we're going to be some optimism here. All right, next one. I'm putting optimistic projection at the top. Number six, I have factored in cyclicality of Ooh. earnings. I have factored in cyclicality. cyclicality. Now, this is cyclicality this is of earnings or generally of earnings. Of earnings. And and the, the reason for that is that some companies you're going to look at are definitely cyclical, right? So, you know, John Deere uh, tractors are going to follow the cyclicality of the farmer's market. They're not going to buy tractors. They don't have any money. They don't have any money if crop prices are low. So you get cyclicality out there in the industry. So what you want to do is smooth it out and when you're making this long-range projection and move from the middle to the upper part of cyclicality when you're going to figure this out. So you don't want to be too pessimistic and, and go bottom of the cycle. That's when you want to be a buyer. In, the, in this particular projection, you're looking for middle cycle to, to upper end of the cycle hmm. uh, for where you think that earnings will be down the road. So be, be optimistic here. Okay. Next one, number seven. I've factored into earnings reasonable estimates of future capital expenditure. Factored into earnings reasonable estimates of future cash flow? What did you say? Uh, capital expenditure. Oh, future capital expenditure. Now that should actually be not earnings. I see that we got an error on this thing. That should be I factored into cash flow, reasonable estimates of future capex. So when I do this thing, by the way, Danielle, I look at this thing both in terms of earnings and in terms of of actual cash flow. Hmm. So I'm looking at it both ways, and hmm. and we haven't talked much about that at all. No, ever. not at all. In fact, I'm not going to talk much about that right now. Let's just say, yeah. This number seven is it's about like a whole other view of the world there. Okay. Right? Interesting. Through, through, through free the view of free cash flow. So we'll just keep that one off to the side for a second. So factored right. into it. Yeah, this yeah, this is straightforward. Estimates yep. of future capital expenditures. So like basically if a company's saying like we need to build a new headquarters or we need to build a new factory or something, then you know right. that that's coming up. Right. Or if they're not saying that and it's obvious that their stuff is old, then that's another yeah, thing. Factor it in. So if you're buying a company like CF Industries, which is manufacturing fertilizer, ammonia, then you know that they're at full production in their existing plant. And in order for them to continue their growth rate, they're going to have to build a new plant. Hmm. And they're going to incur a lot of cash expenses for that. Hmm. So we'd factor that in in free cash flow. Okay. All right. Next, the number eight, the business price as a margin of safety compared to the business value. So this is 
this is just double checking that we've got a big margin of safety. This is saying that I can buy this thing at 50% below the value of the business today. That's really what I want to say there. I mean, I made a very generalized term, but essentially this is where you go like, okay, 50% discount to the real value. Do I have it or not? Okay. And then number nine. Okay. I'm, I'm go ahead. confident enough in this optimistic valuation that I would put in 20% of my net worth at the margin of safety price. So you're saying in a way like this optimistic valuation is actually not crazy. It's not nuts. Confident enough in this optimistic valuation that I'd put... 20% of net worth. 20% of my net worth in it. And it's funny, this this 20% doesn't come out of pure blue sky. This is the number we use when we're gambling, actually. When we're doing speculative trading using options, um, we require that the, that the potential reward for that bet is good enough relative to the risk that we can put in 20% of our bankroll on that one bet. Okay. If you think about it, it's like we want the odds to be so good if we're playing blackjack that we're counting cards and we realize that the deck is loaded with kings and queens and jacks. And we got a very good chance of getting a blackjack here. So we're going to bet heavier in that environment. We've got a great risk-reward ratio. We want to have that before we go into any investments. So it's a really good thing to realize that when you've got something really good, you want to be able to really load up the truck. You don't want to be looking at it and going like, oh, I feel really comfortable putting in $1,000 of my hundred grand. Yeah, just no, in you, case. Just in case it might be right or it might be wrong. No, you want to say with a high degree of confidence, I put in 20 grand in here out of 100,000 for sure at this price. So it's Very getting confident. at a large enough chunk. Yeah. It doesn't have to be 20%. Like that's still an arbitrary number. Sure. But it's a large enough chunk that you're not going to put that much money into something that has a decent chance of getting lost. You're only going to put it into something you feel very confident very, about. Very good. Okay. And sometime in the future, we can talk more about how we tranche into these investments. So I may want 20% in there, but I'm not going to put it all in on the once. I'm going to put it in over a period of time. And we'll talk about that another time. So that's that's the checklist for the margin of safety uh Finding the margin of safety price of the business. Right Sweet. There. Tell me the title of the next one for the next episode. All right. The next one. I love this next one so much. This is where we really get into some wonderful subjectivity. And it's so critical to buying right businesses. I almost want to make it the first thing on the list. Love the business and put your money Ooh. where your values are. I love it. Wait, that's the title? Yeah. Love okay. the business. Dash. Love the put business. your money where your values are. Aww. Okay, That'd cool. That'd be fun to talk about. All so right. that will be next time. All good. Till then. Time to Where go play. Stop writing. Are. Stop now. writing. Okay, thank go. you, everybody. Bye. 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 Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. 
If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that you're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really hope you enjoyed it.